Will you turn with me, please, for this, our opening reading. It's only one verse. Please keep your Bibles open, though, for we will be referring to quite a lot of other scripture. But turn with me, please, if you will, to the little prophecy of Amos. Amos. You might say, where is Amos? Go to Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you can go to Hosea, Joel, and then you'll find Amos. A wee bit boomy, is it? Bless the Lord. Amos chapter 4. I'm sure we'll all know this verse. Amos 4 and verse 12, please. Amos chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we can sing the praises of your name this evening. And we can praise you for the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise you for his sacrifice, his doing and his dying. We praise you, Lord, that we don't come to a Christ still on a cross, nor one lying in a tomb, but rather we come, Lord, to one who has risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, there making intercession for us with that which he has accomplished at Calvary. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for the death of your Son and his resurrection. So, Father, we pray this evening, Lord, as we now break the bread of life, that you would open our hearts and our minds. And Father, even as it's been prayed by Andrew before, we pray, O God, if there is one or some here not right with you, fallen away from you and backslidden in heart, maybe someone unsaved, Lord, we pray that you would speak to them. But Lord, would you even challenge your church and build us up upon our most holy faith. Bless those who are watching live or later, wherever they may be around the world, we pray, Lord, you will give them a portion of the blessing. And Lord, for those who are at home and can't be with us, would you encourage them also? So, Father, to that end, we pray, have thine way, Holy Spirit, in this place among your people and in our hearts and minds this evening. And help this man with clay lips to rightly divide the word of truth and to speak for the glories of Christ. We ask it in your name, Lord, and for your glory alone. Amen. I've entitled this this evening, A Call to Preparation from Amos the Prophet. A Call to Preparation from Amos the Prophet. The Lord says through the prophet, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 12, there is a rift in the nation of Israel. And uh, a young man called Jeroboam goes out walking one day and he's affronted by an old prophet. And he takes off Jeroboam's coat and rips it into 12 pieces. And there he gives 10 pieces of his coat back to him and keeps two over. And he says, these 10 pieces are 10 tribes that I will give unto thee. And the two pieces are two tribes I will give unto David and his line, which would be Solomon on the throne. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam would take the throne after Solomon. And so the nation is about to divide, and when Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam comes on the throne, and Jeroboam comes representing the northern territory of Israel, asking, as it were, for a relief on their taxes. And you'll read in 1 Kings 12 that they separate, they don't receive what they wanted, and they separate, and hence we have two kingdoms with two capital cities and two lines of kings. From Samaria is the like of Ahab and Jezebel uh, uh, as king and his wife 
in Samaria, the capital city of the northern kingdom. And the true line of kings from David and Solomon, Rehoboam on down, Jehoshaphat and others, uh, they come from the true line of kingship in Jerusalem. Amos the prophet is from the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah. But the Lord tells him to go north, and he goes to the northern kingdom of Israel. And hence that kingdom is known as the house of Israel. It's known as Joseph. It's known as Ephraim. It's known as Samaria after its capital city. But here he is told to go northward and to prophesy against the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. Now Amos was an herdsman from Tekoa which was near Bethlehem in Judah. We read about that at the time of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Amos was uh, from a poor background. He lived mostly in the wilderness as he followed the flock or the sheep. And Amos wasn't from a lineage of priests nor prophets, but rather he was a nobody. We're going to look at this for a moment. He was a nobody. And they're following the flock, there the Lord speaks to him and tells him to prophesy against the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. Notice, if you will, in Amos chapter 7, just a couple of verses, please. Amos chapter 7, verse 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, Neither was I a prophet's son, but I followed, I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be inherited in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in the polluted land. And Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his hand. And Amos is now to the northern kingdom and saying, You're telling me you don't want the word of God in the nation. What you're saying is, don't dare bring us the word of the Lord. We won't listen to it. We won't have it. And we don't want it. But the Lord is saying here, to you, house of Israel, he's saying unto you, Samaria, that's the capital city, he's saying unto you, Ephraim, that's who he's prophesying to. The Lord is saying that this place will come to nothing. The enemy will come. Your families will be decimated. Your land will be overrun and taken over unless you turn from your wicked ways to serve the living God. You'd think that prophecy was for Great Britain tonight. You'd think that word was for Ireland tonight, United Kingdom tonight, the things which are happening in the United States tonight, in Canada, even Australia, the way things are going, to turn from your wicked ways, or the Lord will bring this nation and decimate it. The nation doesn't want to hear the word of God. The people don't want to know of a saving grace in Christ. They don't want to know that God's word endures forever and is forever settled in heaven, but rather want to take it. Even some Christians want to apply it in a different way, in order that this word may be changed by them to suit a lifestyle, to suit a society. But Amos to the northern kingdom, sent from the southern kingdom up, he says, I wasn't a prophet. Neither was I a son of a prophet. I was an herd man. I'm a nobody. I don't, I don't even guard, regard myself as anything. But the Lord had a different idea. The Lord called me. In other words, he says, the Lord took me, and he made me a prophet. And if you won't listen to me, you won't listen to the voice of the Lord. And of course, Amos has turned away. 
Amos is rejected and the word of God is rejected and history tells us around 722, 721 BC the Assyrians came and took them all away. Took them by hooks in their jaws up through their jawline. They put hooks up through them and they would have pulled money away with a hook. They were all in a line like a fish hooked under the jaw. The Lord even says in Ezekiel 37, only in a different context, that I will put hooks into thy jaws. This is the idea of it. And I will draw thee back. And he says that to the enemies of God's people. So God takes a nobody like Amos and makes him a prophet. This reminds me, if you'll go with me, please, to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And anyone with a little bit of knowledge of the Word of God will surely know where we're going. But I have some, I want to show you something completely different here tonight. I want you to see when we look at this, I want to open your eyes a little bit tonight about what's happening all around us and we don't see it, we don't grasp it and understand it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please. And let your eye run down to verse 26. Paul says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And why has God chosen people like this that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Notice, first of all, the foolish. The foolish. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The word here for foolish is the word moros. Moros. And it's where you and I would basically get our word moron from. It's a strong word, isn't it? Someone must uh, call someone else a moron. It really strikes deep. It's really offensive to call someone a moron. It, it, it speaks about character, about what they say and think of character. And the word moros or moron, it was used in, in the very Greek text to scorn a heart. You're a moron. Amoros. It's, it's used to dig right into the very center core of a person's character. It gives the idea of someone who hasn't grown up yet. It's like someone who's maybe, maybe more mature, meant to be in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s or whatever, and they act like they're 8 to 10 years of age. And if that was growing up at 8 or 10, to act 8 or 10, well, that's fine, and we, we don't see that. But as they get older, people go, wow, it's moros. That's, you're acting like a moron. And it strikes deep because the truth of it hits the heart and the character of the person. And this is the word that is used. But I want you to stay with me because we want to go a little bit deeper with this. I told you this morning with some things to reveal to you some nuggets for you to feast on tonight. The word here for, for moros in Greek mythology, remember this is the Greek New Testament, or New, our New Testament is taken from, the original text was Greek. And in the Greek mythology, moros, M-O-R-O-S, became personified in the character and the actions of people. You can see it when you look all around us. You can see it out there and the way people act at times. It is moronic. It's moros. And it becomes personified. But in the Greek mythology, moros, are you ready for this, was the personification of impending doom. The personification of impending doom. It's the one who drives mortals 
to their deadly doom and fate. And it's the same if we were to see someone who is moronic in their leading, in their dealings, in their ways, in their character, and people gathered onto that, they are, as it were, driving the people to a fate and doom. This is the word moros. And Paul says that God chose men like this and changed them. But listen, Moros in Greek mythology was the son of another Greek so-called god called Nux. Nux. And if you were spelling it in the English language now, it would be the, the, the letters N. Y X, but it's pronounced Nux, N double O X. Nux was the father of Moros. And when you look at the word night, N I G H T, in your Bible, and go into, if you want, your concordance, into the Greek concordance, where you read the word night, it's the word Nux. Nux. For example, we have the, it's meant to be herbal, but there are uh, pharmaceutical qualities in, in the, the tablet you can get from the herbalist, and it's called nighthall. You know, we want to go to sleep, and you take the nighthall to try and help you sleep. And you see the adverts, you say, it says, take the nighthall, and it's good nighthall. That's what the advert says. And it's N-Y-T-O-L. It's the same word here. It's the father. Listen, think about this. This is still pharmaceutical. Nux is the father of Moros. Nux, or where we get Nighthaw, the father of, of Moros, it gives the idea of a person, you ready? A person who is gloomy, of dark mood, morose is the word. Someone is morose or even foul-tempered as a spirit of morose. And hence we have the fruit of the Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, goodness, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. And that's the spirit of the Christian man and woman to keep rather than to yield themselves to this moros. Take note here, if you will. Take note. In 1 Thessalonians 5, if you want to turn to it, please. In 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning to read at verse 1. While you're looking, I'll get a drink. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1, Paul writes, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the nooks. We always think of the nooks or the night as being as it is outside. Now it's dark. You can see little. The sun, as it were, has gone down. Maybe the moon's in the sky with the stars. Nighttime. This is the Greek word is, is nooks. And Paul says, I want you to get the spiritual application of this. Because nighttime come and nighttime go. Listen, if the Lord came back and it's nighttime here, sure, it's morning time in Australia, isn't it? Isn't that true? So what does it mean in the night? He comes at the time when there's a blindness among the people, a darkness is foul on the land, and they're in a nooks, and Moros is the driver to bring them to their fate and their doom. And Christ comes for his own when darkness is getting deeper and greater. In the land. I think in the spiritual context 
that when we think of this, it has got darker in Ulster. It has got darker in the United Kingdom and Ireland. It has got darker around the world. Hence we have wickedness, spiritual wickedness, in high places. And we are in the spiritual context at the nooks, the nighttime shame of it. For example, let's read on a moment. Verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. Paul's talking about a spiritual darkness. Can you see the spiritual context of this? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Notice, ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Paul is saying if you're saved, if you're blood-washed, if you're blood-bought, if you've been repentant and you've come to the foot of the cross, you've had your sins forgiven and all washed away, he says you're not spiritually in the nooks. The nighttime, you're not in darkness. The word darkness, by the way, is skotos. You're not in the nooks nor the skotos. He says, rather, we are in the fos. The fos means the great light. We're children of the day. In other words, we live in the light of the Scriptures. We live in the light of the Lord. And we are prepared. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Are you ready? Are you ready? The word here, skotos, means people with a darkened eyesight. A person in whom darkness becomes their visible. I want to say it again. A person in whom their darkness becomes their visible. So you see, there's those who you're walk, walking with and working with and living with and, and their darkness, their spiritual darkness, their skotos, they're living in the nooks or the night. They can't see anything but the dark. They don't understand the things of God. They can't live in the light of His Word. They can't grasp hold of these things which God has been showing to us and we've been preaching to people, but rather they'll still continue to live in darkness. Listen, there's Christians starting to live like this. And they're living in the world and they're doing worldly things. Listen, you can't live wrong and die right. And if you're in the world and you think, well, I'm all right to be in the world because I gave my life to Jesus a lot of years ago, you're fooling yourself, friend. You're in the darkness. You're in the darkness. It's time to come into the light. It's time to come in to the light of the Lord. Notice here, Nukes is the darkness. His son Moros is the driver of those to their doom. And in Greek mythology, Nukes was a god who had a son. I am the god of the darkness, he says. I send forth my son Nukes, and we call it night. Skotos sends Nukes, and he drives people on to their fate and to their doom. Brother, sister, we need to walk in the light of the word and not allow ourselves to be in the morose. Not to become morose, which is that which is 
A darkness comes in the mind and a darkness comes in the heart and a foulness comes about it. We are to live according, according to the fruit of the Spirit and the light of God and His Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you'll go back to it with me, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what it says. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, the weak, the foolish, now the weak. The weak is the word athenis. The moros, he says, listen, we were all in darkness. We were all in darkness of sin, of heart and mind, depravity. And he came and he sent his son to rescue us. That's why we understand things that others don't understand. That's why when you tell people about the things that are happening in the world, that's why when you tell people of the sin, that's why when you tell people of, of their sin that they, they fight against you, that's why when we look at things that are happening in our land and in our nation, and whether that's from government down to... Listen, even big pharma, as I said, the nukes, the night hall, they all gather these words. Do you know even NASA itself, its name, comes from whenever the ark was lifted up by the water? That's the word NASA. They're trying to lift themselves up to heaven. Find here that the weak here is the asthenis. It means the infirm. It means the feeble. Do you know who that means? It means you and it means me. Every one of us means you and it means me. Notice here in Romans 5 and verse 6, Paul says, for when we were yet without strength, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. The words without strength is the exact same word Paul uses here for weak. God hath chosen the weak things. God hath chosen those who were without strength unto salvation. Without strength, unable to save ourselves. Without strength, unable to understand the things of God. And even as Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, except the man be born again, he cannot see. Because he's blind to see. Spiritually blind, he's in darkness. He's in the nighttime. He cannot see, or in other words, he can't even comprehend the kingdom of God. Except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Or it means, unless a man or a woman is born from above, unless God comes down, the Holy Spirit comes, and he awakens the dead heart, and he draws the man and he draws the woman unto Christ his Son, shows them their need of salvation, shows them the sin that they're in, and gives them light and shines the force, the light. Gives the idea of a great spotlight comes on into your heart and into your life, you're not living right. You're not living right. Lord, I see it. I see it. Christian, let's check hearts here. Lest we be found that we're not living right. Notice, if you will, without strength is the word feeble and infirm. We were unable to save ourselves and save the Holy Ghost comes. We can't see nor enter into the kingdom of God. That's John 3 and 3, 3 and 5, and now 3 and 7, he says, marvel not. That I said unto thee, you must, you must be born again. You must be born again. In Galatians 4 and in verse 9, Paul writes this, But now 
after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, why turn ye again to the weak? Same word, to the weak and beggarly elements wherein you desire again to be in bondage. Now Paul's really using this against those who came out of Judaism and left all of that behind, rejecting Christ and anti-Christ religion, and they rejected it. They came to saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ, saved by sovereign, matchless grace of God, seeing the Lord Jesus the Lamb. But now things are turning them back to look again, to come into a bondage in religion. And Paul is saying, but now, after that, you've known God, or rather that you're known of God. Let me put it into plain language here. If there's someone here and you have went on with God for a while, and you knew him, I mean if you really knew him, I'm not talking about, well, I said a wee prayer, and I went to church once or twice. You didn't know him then. You didn't know him. I'm talking about if you were saved and you know him. If you're saved and you know him intimately. I mean intimately. You know him, but rather you're known of him. You're known of God. Here's what I want to say tonight. Paul is pointing out that many of us want to go back into the weak and beggarly elements of other things. Want to go and sit in a pub? Want to go out to the club? You want to go and take the drink? You want to go and sit there and say, well, I'm all right? You want to go on that line of thinking and way of walking, and you want to go, you know what I'd say, friend, then you haven't tasted truly of Christ as seen that He is good. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus, find a name. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but at the waters fell. In as I stood to drink, they fled and mocked me as I the world got, brother, sister? What has it got? What has it got to offer? And they're walking away from leaving the Lord after he'd done everything for them. He says, will he also go away? Will he also go away? Big Peter stands up and says, Lord, to whom else would we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. What draw has it to some believers? I don't know. I don't get it. I honestly don't get it. 
and they can try and theologically batter and bruise you and argue about how many furries could dance in the end of a pinhead to try and excuse why they would go into the world, take of the world, taste of the world, rest in the world, and love the things of the world. But I don't get it. But I don't get it. Because there's none that Christ can satisfy. And so in 1 Corinthians Chapter 28, pardon me, chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And the base things of the world and the things which are despised of God chosen. Notice here the base things of the world and, uh, and the despised things. It means the low-born status, one of no reputation, no account among men. And then the prophet walks up from the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom and he says, Listen, God's given me a word for you. We don't want to hear you. Go back home. He was of no account among men. And he says in Amos 7 and verse 14, I was no prophet. Neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit, showing that he was just a laborer as he walked along with the herd or the flock. But I love verse 15 of Amos 7. I was an herdman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. That's who I am. And then verse 15 says, and the Lord took me. And the Lord took me. See Nehemiah, and he sees him following the flock. <laughs> He's of no reputation, but if I use him, there'll be no glory here for Amos, but it'll be all for the Lord. And he takes people that are foolish, that have been foolish. He takes people who have been weak. He lifts people who are base in society, who are not a, from even theological training, nor from a, a family that brought them up in the ways of the Lord, and he looks at them, and he sees them in their sin like you and I. He sees us in our depravity. He sees us, and look, there's nothing in us. Nothing. And I love it. God hath chosen. I don't know why, but I'm God's choice, and so are you. I don't know why, but he loved me. I don't know why, but he gave his son for me, and he gave him for you. Every one of you who are saved by the grace of God, found in Christ alone, he knew you, yet he loved you. God hath chosen, and Amos says, hey, I'm walking along with a flock, and God took me. You'll do it's like Enoch, it says he walked with God and he was not, for the Lord took him. Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God and there he's out walking with the Lord and he's so close to God and walking with him every day, walking and talking with the Lord. You know, it's like that him and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And there's Enoch walking along, enjoying the things of God. And it seems as if he's got so far away from home and carried away with the Lord, the Lord says, you might as well just come on home, son. You're closer to me than what you are to get home. And Enoch had a test, this testimony that he pleased God. And we have to ask, what's the testimony of God's people like? What's your testimony like? Is your testimony where people will know that you love Christ? Is your testimony that you are separated and sanctified by the Spirit and the Word of God unto Christ and His glory. What's your testimony like? Enoch had this testimony. He says he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He says, you're mine. 
heard this before, I'm going to tell it again. Years and years ago when I lived in Belfast and Mount Vernon Flats, there was a big lad, his name's John, I'll not say the rest of his name, but this big lad, John, took him to church. I used to get them in. When Alson and I were first married, even, it was before we were married, I was in the flat, but Alson, when we were first married, we were nine floors up, and it was, I think it's, I think it's a bit better now, but then it was a bit rough. We used to have security guards on 24-7 to see who was coming into the flats behind purse backs. That's what it was like. You walked up the stairs, and it was blood up the walls, you know. But Alson used to get into the lift, and said, Teddy, she used to go, Lord, please don't let anybody get in this lift. Please don't let anybody get in this lift. Because she was afraid. Nice to tell her, Alison, everyone knows me, so you're all right because you're married to me. You'll be all right. And she used to say, don't let anybody get into this lift. And she'll tell you, she'll come in at night and she opened the door after work and there I was with the living room full of everybody in the flats. <laughs> there was prostitutes, drug addicts, alcoholics, paramilitaries. The UDA were there, the UVF were there, and I had them sitting in the living room telling them they needed to be saved and showing them the scriptures. Tell them if they died the way they were, they'd go to hell. Calling yourself a loyalist won't get you to heaven, you know. Hello? Isn't that right? And this big lad, John, got saved one night. We used to take him down to church and get him on into the meetings, and he got saved this time, and he was taller than me, big tall fella. And one day I called into his flat. He was just next door, really, and I called into his flat. I says, how you doing, John? And he was always playing worship music, and he was loving life. And the paramilitaries had let him go. He says, Ken, I came across my, uh, my criminal record. Do you want to see it? I'll show it to the glory of God. I says, aye. So he pulls out this load of paper like this and he holds his hand up like this and he lets it go, holds it at one end and lets it go and the reams of paper go like that down to the floor and they still weren't unfurled with the charges that he had been under over the years by the time it hit the floor look at this, he says oh here hold on there's more I says John that's what the Lord has saved you from see how God has saved you you have to be a different man now and he was going on well for months, maybe 10 months. Oh, he was such a different person. In fact, the odd video of the old Whitewell videos, there's one or two, he's with me and Alison standing, singing unto the Lord. Singing his heart out. Change man. And one day I go to see him and he say, I says, well, how are you keeping today? You just keep tabs on him. And his head was in his hand. He says, what's wrong with you, brother? He said, I thought I'd go into the pub and talk to my mates. I thought I'd go in and even witness and tell them about Jesus. And I went in to sit with them. He says, and what they said, he says, I started off, I had a Coke and then I had a Shandy, then I had a pint. And I went to two pints. And these boys around the table, it was up in Tigers Bay, and these boys around the table all talking to him. He's talking about where well, he's got saved and he's sitting, starting to drink now. And this is what they said to him and it devastated him. And he never recovered. If this Jesus, who you say is so good, if he's as good and as lovely as you say he is, what are you doing sitting here with us? What are you doing? Even the unsaved knew he shouldn't be there. And he never recovered from that. You know what he's done? He's tried to commit suicide multiple times. He was found hanging by a rope one night in his kitchen. Thankfully cut down. And recently I, I sent word down to see how he was doing. 
haven't seen him in years. I was talking to someone that knew him. I says, you tell him, if I come down and get him, will he come to church? So I'm waiting to see. God takes people like that, like me, and he rescues us. Amos was following the herd and says, and the Lord took him. What about your testimony? Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. And Enoch walked with God and was not for the Lord, or God took him. Amos could relate, I'm sure, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we have read. He's not a prophet nor son of a prophet. He's not really anything. His family aren't really known. But God took him. God reached him. You know what the word, the name Amos means? Burden. Here's a man with a burden on his shoulders. Now God gives him a burden for the things of God. And he goes to the northern kingdom of the house of Israel with the burden in obedience to the Lord. And he carries the burden to them and it is the word of God. And if you go to, let's go to Amos chapter 1 please, just for a moment. I want you to see the two kings who are on the two thrones of Israel here. Amos chapter 1 verse 1. The words of Amos who was among the herdmen of Tekoa which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Notice the king of Judah and the king of Israel, that is the northern kingdom, two years before the earthquake. Amos prophesied, and then comes along Hosea, and Hosea is to the northern kingdom as well. Other, the other Judah is mentioned, but it is mainly to the northern kingdom. And then comes along uh, the prophet across Amos and contemporary would be Isaiah. So God is saying to the people, how many times do I have to send someone with a word? How many times do I need to speak to you? How many times must I send a prophet that you might turn from your ways? There used to be preachers in every corner in Northern Ireland. There used to be churches filled on, on every corner in Northern Ireland. There used to be people, I used to see them in the flatbed trucks pulling up and preaching the gospel across Northern Ireland. They used to be all over the place. I remember as a wee lad walking down the shore road and there was a preacher in that corner and you went on down a bit more. There was a preacher in that corner and God sent revival to the land. But God is saying, what is it that you want? House of Israel, what do you want? Ulster, Scotland, England, Wales, Ireland, what is it you want from me? I've sent you preachers. I've sent you revivals. I've sent you men of God. But what is it you want from me? Friend, maybe the Lord will say to you tonight, what is it you want from me? I've spoken to you when you're lying in your bed at night. I've spoken to your mind. I've spoken to you in your dreams. I've spoken to you through someone in work. I've spoken to you while you're on your own. I've spoken to you time and time again. What is it you want from me? Another time, Lord, I'm happy where I am. Another time, Lord, I'm happy in the condition I am in. Amos' ministry was overwhelmingly prophetic but it was prophetic of judgment on the surrounding nations and peoples. The prophetic utterance to them starts with this. Notice, let's just do it the once in verse 3. For thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions 
of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. And if you go down the chapter, we're not going to go down this, but if you go down that chapter, it speaks the same words, for three transgressions off. Here's Damascus, then it goes in verse 6 to Gaza, verse 9 to Tyrus, verse 11 to Edom, verse 13 to Ammon, chapter 2 and verse 1 to Moab, and the same term is said, for three transgressions of Ammon, Moab, and so on, and for four. Now, it doesn't mean they've only sinned four times, or they've only been, they've only been told of it three or four times. This is what it means. For three transgressions, it means your sin has heaped up upon your sin, has heaped up upon your sin, has heaped up upon your sin. And here is your worst Damascus here, for example. You have taken your wicked hands and you have threshed the people with instruments of iron. And you think God doesn't see the wickedness that goes on in our land, in our nation? You think God doesn't see what is happening behind the scenes with elitists? Do you think God doesn't see it and say, I hate that! I hate that! Unjust laws and away from God. You think God doesn't see it? You think God didn't see the innocents that were murdered in this land for near 30 years or whatever? Do you think God will not exact that from those people? No matter what side you're on. thing, brothers and sisters, friends. God says to you, you've heaped your sin upon your sin upon your sin upon your sin, and now I'm pointing you out. And now I'm pointing you out. It's time, Amos says, prepare to meet thy God. I must close this. Too much material again. When it gets to chapter 2 and verse 4, God, all those other nations I mentioned, you know, Gaza and Tyrus and Edom and Ammon and Moab and, and Damascus, which is Syria and so on, all those nations, it's all right, isn't it? Well, it's happening to them. You know, food shortages, oh, well, it's happening to Africa or it's happening to India or it's happening wherever else. You know, as long as it doesn't come to these shores or disease or pestilence, you know, it's all right when it happens everywhere else and God speaks in national judgment to try and get the nation to look to him and to walk in his ways and his laws. But when it comes to your door. Do you remember whenever the first, the first reported some disease in China? Wuhan. Who remembers seeing the videos? People just keeling over and you remember seeing those videos, people coping over and all those sort of things, you know. Well, now, let's be honest, we're not trying to be hard here, but most of us thought, well, it's not here, so we're all right. It's not the way you think. It's subconscious in us all, and they'd be the same if it was here. Well, it's not here. Praise the Lord, it's not here. We're all right. And it's the same here, because Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms of Israel, the two houses here, well, it's all right, it's in everywhere else. But we can do what we like because we're God's people. We are the people. We are the people. But notice what it says in chapter 2, Amos 2 and verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, and it starts the same, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments and their lies caused them to err. After the which their fathers have walked, I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. I'll hit you at your capital city and throughout your whole country. So God says. And you talk about Wuhan? And you talk about it's all right there? But see when I came here? Different story, wasn't it? That's the truth, isn't it? Different story. When it's knocking at your own door. You know what the Lord said to Cain? He said to Cain, when Cain brought the offering of all the, the fruit and vegetables and the flowers, 
That's Cain's offering, by the way. Just a wee hint. Someone was asked why I don't do harvest services. Because Cain brought the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and it was rejected. Cain's offering. That's why I personally don't want... I'm not against anybody. In fact, I'm going to go to the one at 8 o'clock to support them over there. But that's another story for another time. That's why I don't do harvest service. I have done in the past, but that's why I don't want to do any. Notice this. And Cain is rejected. And Abel's offering of just the lamb, the blood of the lamb is accepted. And Cain is wroth. He's angry. He's angry. And notice this. It says, the Lord says to Cain, what is wrong with him? Paraphrasing, he says, and see for you, Cain, sin lies at your door. Sin lies at your door. Do you know what he means? The offering of the blood of the lamb is all you need. But your sin, your sin by not coming the way God has said through the blood, your sin will be at your own door. Sin will be at your door. It's different when it comes to your door. It's different whenever a family member or yourself are told of a, of a terrible disease, isn't it? I never forget when my mother just turned 53 and she was ill. And the doctor gave her Pepto-Bismol for a sore stomach. And her, and her brain was full of cancer. And they give her a bottle of that pink Pepto-Bismol. Oh, your stomach's bought here. And the woman could hardly see. We went to, she went and got tests done. And my father says, would you come with me and your mom? I says, yes, I will. And I sat in the room and mom was there and he gave, her the, he gave her the diagnosis. This is inoperable and you have a short space to live here. Now I have heard that in other people around the family circle, maybe further afield, that it's terrible and you're sad about it and you're, you know, you're concerned about it. But see when it comes, it comes to your door. See when it comes to your door. See when it's lying at your door. And you can hardly speak with it. You can't function because of it. You you lose all sense of normality. Because it's come to your door. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It's seared into my mind and heart. That very first moment that I heard that. I'd never come across that before. And I'll never forget it. Final. No hope. All the nations round about had it. The judgment of the Lord. He says, you Judah... You should know better because you had the word. You had the law. Now judgment's coming to your house. It's going to knock your door. And if you're not saved, one day, and you can put it off, and you can throw it out, one day it will come to your door. There's no hope. Sin will wrap your door. And God's judgment will open it. And you're without God. Without Christ. Without hope in the world. And launched out into eternity without the Lord. Then he turns to the house of Israel, and I close with this. I've far too much material. Pardon me for just too much. Chapter 2 and verse 6. Chapter 2 and verse 6. For thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. Now listen what he says to the house of Israel. Listen, and you think, 
Let the Holy Spirit show you tonight. And you think, are we not the people that he's speaking to tonight? Listen, is it not our nation this could be said to tonight? They have violated the law long ago, it says in verse 6. Notice. They had violated God's law. Here's what it, here's what it means. The property of Israel brought national sin to the fore. Pardon me, the prosperity. In other words, they became one of the richer nations. One of the richer. You know, like the G7 and so on. They became one of the richer nations. And the prosperity of Israel brought national sin to the fore. And it was the rich in the house of Israel. It was the elitists governing They were taking a cruel advantage over the people and putting them into their own slavery after their own ways and their own will. Also, their illicit sexual immorality and perversion was so far away from God's law, from His word and from His will, it was being flaunted in His face. Think about it. This is what was happening. And God is saying, you're the righteousness that was in this land. The righteousness of Israel is gone, for your prosperity shows it up in my face. That's what he's saying. Ever wonder when Jesus comes and says, the poor heard him gladly? It was being flaunted in his face, and his national wife, who is Israel, his national wife was idolatrous. Other gods were being worshipped and adulterous for being married on to Jehovah. She was like a wife unfaithful. So I finish with what Adam Clark's commentary says. They were licentious to the uttermost abomination. For in their idol feasts, where young women prostituted themselves publicly in honor of Astarte, the father and son entered into impure connections with the same female. That's what they were getting up to. That's what the nation had become. There's such illicit sexual immorality everywhere. And the Lord says, your sins heaped upon your sin, your sin, your sin, and now I won't turn away judgment. You're too late. You're too late. I trust you'll not be too late. You'll come to Christ if you don't know him. And hence, Amos says, prepare to meet thy God. You know, in Revelation chapter 9, think again in maybe it's 18 as well. There's a word there called sorceries that's used. People tend to think that sorceries and witchcraft is, you know, the the black pointy hat and the, the witch with the long nose and the big wart in the end of it. And the, you know. the word there for sorcery is, is pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy from. But it means to be enchanted with drugs. There'll be a culture of drugs. Do you know there's a politician on the radio the other day I heard him? Here in Northern Ireland vying to make drugs legal for people to take. To be enchanted with drugs, to bring them into sorceries and witchcraft. And it lists in the uh, Galatians 5 also, witchcraft is mentioned, and, and it lists all these emulations and lusts of the flesh, and in the middle of it it says witchcraft. And it's for making it. As Adam Clark said, they were worshipping at their feast and they were worshipping the goddess Astarte. You know who Astarte is? Astarte is Nimrod's wife. You know the Tower of Babel? Nimrod's wife. Her name was Semiramis, but she's changed as the nations in time. It's the same, it's the same uh, heathen uh, spirit. Astarte, you also call her Ashtaroth, 
um, Ishtar. And even in Babylon, there was a gate made called the Ishtar Gate after her. The ancient Anglo-Saxons, uh, they were, uh, their, their, their sort of paganism, they, they used to call it Oster. It's the same, Ishtar, Ashtarte, Ashtaroth, Oster. They're all the same. Coming across west, it's all the same. And that's where we get our word Easter from. When you say Happy Easter, Happy Ishtar. The Lord says this nation is worshipping false deities and there are false feasts and festivals. That's a teaching for another time. So much more in this. So much more. Can you see it? But are you saved? Are you ready? Are you right? Prepare to meet thy God of Israel, he says. And you must be prepared. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's going to prepare for those who are prepared. Are you prepared? Tim, would you come up, please?